Okay, I know some classes got uh, out a little bit late, maybe, uh, and there may be a few people trickling in, but we're going to go ahead and get started and uh, uh, let them come in late if they get here. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we're here today to look at ourselves. We're here, Father, to look what you can do in our lives. Father, we thank you that you are such a wonderful and gracious God and that you loved us before we even knew who you were. And you provided for us a way to come to you when we didn't even know we needed it. Father, we ask this morning as we'd we get down to some uncomfortable things, Father, that we might rely on your love. We might place our security in you and in your love. They won't be brave enough to step out in faith when you call us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's nice to see all of you here today. Glad you took the time to come. Uh, when we were first asked to do this forum a few weeks ago, um, I thought, we are way past this part of life because it was entitled When Heart and Heart and Love Overcoming the Challenges of Early Married Life. And we've been married 27 years, so that's not early anymore. And I thought, we really belong in the midlife form. <laughs> and actually, somebody did ask us to help with that, too. But the more I gave it some thought, I thought, you know, we have a lot of things we're able to share simply because we've been married 27 years and been through a lot of things. And we've made um, some good choices and we've made plenty of mistakes. And we know that people learn from mistakes and struggles, and that's what we want to share with you today. Um, I also did a small email survey asking um, what people would expect if they heard that title. Obviously, somebody who enjoyed the Zion's Harp um, entitled it When Heart and Heart and Love and about the early challenges. And these are some of the suggestions we received. Um, learning to live with your new spouse's little quirks. Developing a shared spiritual walk, like your devotional time together or prayer time together. Dealing with money issues like spending, saving, and tithing. Resolving holiday issues like where do we spend Christmas, Thanksgiving? Do we start new traditions of our own? Learning to work, work through problems. Uh, communication problems, conflict resolu- resolution skills or our lack of them. Then children and all the issues they bring, how to discipline, devotional times with them. I mean, there's a myriad of things with children. Anybody with children knows. Dealing with career expectations and then personal growth as well as growth as a couple. Um, As we looked over the suggestions, we realized that each of the topics could easily have been a form by itself. And um, if we had time, we would like to talk about each one of them. Maybe we could brainstorm together as as a group and come up with some solutions. The problem is that... Um, what may work for Tom and me wouldn't necessarily work for you. And why is that? Because Tom and I are unique. We have uh, different histories and backgrounds than each of you, and um, our relationship is unique for that reason. Um, I don't know how you went into marriage, but it was probably the same way that I did. You had a lot of hope. You uh, You were full of hope, expectations, and dreams. But sometimes it doesn't take very long for some of those unrealistic expectations to be dashed. Sometimes there's pain and disappointment on your honeymoon already. And and you're thinking, you know, why is this? I thought everything was going to be nice and easy and, you know. Um, One of the first things that I realized after we were married was how selfish I am. I like having my own way. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if anybody, you can identify with that, but that's, me. I want my own way. And my selfishness was um, even more emphasized after we had children. And I saw how demanding they are. It's just really hard when you're selfish. And I think each of us, if we're honest, will say that we are selfish. Um, Being in relationship with others, our spouses, our children, our parents, with anyone, really shows us the truth about who we are. And if we look at ourselves honestly and see who we are, we often don't like what we see. At least I don't. There's a book, which I haven't read. Um, 
by Gary Thomas, but I'm really intrigued by the title. The title is Sacred Marriage. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Now, that's a really thought-provoking question. I don't think God intends us to be unhappy, but I believe he's much more interested in my character than he is in my happiness. And I do believe, and even before I ever read that title of that book, we had come to the conclusion that God has designed marriage to make us more holy. As believers, we know that God desires us um, to conform to the image of Jesus. And we're told to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and God calls us to be holy as he is holy. Forgive me for not looking up those, the references to those scriptures, but I think they're probably all familiar to, to each of you. But, but all of us know that we're not there yet. You know, we have problems and issues, and we need molding and, and pruning. Could it be that God allows conflict and irritation with our spouses and in our other relationships to reveal our sinfulness and our need to grow in grace? We need to consider each of these events as opportunities to grow and mature as a believer. Many of us think that our history as a couple began the day we were married. The truth is that each of us brings much more into our marriages than we may want to recognize. John and Renee Horn have agreed to help us take a little different look at uh, a wedding this morning. As we run through this little skit, Uh, Think about your own wedding and how you felt that day. What is really hiding under all those fancy wedding clothes? As John walks in, he's thinking, I sure hope we don't trip or something. I hate being in front of all these people. I'll be glad when all this wedding stuff is over and life gets back to normal. All my friends are going to be jealous of my woman. It's going to be so cool to show her off. Now I'll finally be accepted for who I am. Life is complete now. I have a woman all my own. She will always be there to provide whatever I want. I'm so glad she's not like the rest of her family. Wow, here she comes. Look at her. As Renee walks in, she's thinking, there he is, the man of my dreams. I'll never be lonely again. Someone who understands me. No more counseling sessions for me. Goodbye, disappointment and depression. Everything's going to be just right now. Well, as soon as I correct a few of his bad habits, he'll be perfect. (laughs) My parents never understood me, but he does. As they are somewhat aware of the service going on about them, they continue dreaming and smiling at each other. They hear themselves pronounced husband and wife. As they try to embrace, they find that that closeness eludes them. (laughs) Thank you, John and Renee. For the sake of those who couldn't see well, uh, or for those listening on tape, perhaps uh, John was loaded down with many pieces of luggage or baggage. Each was labeled. Uh, John carried into marriage disappointment, pride, prejudice, expectations, family rules, and arrogance. Renee's was like Renee was likewise loaded down. Her baggage included mommy says, insecurities, anger, guilt, loneliness, and hurts. Your history is woven from the events and experiences of your life. Not all history is what we'd call baggage, uh, but your, your baggage is your emotional response to that history. Um, you can carry a lot of baggage into marriage, and, and that baggage uh, is, is that emotional, those emotional things that need to be dealt with um, that, that plays out in your marriage in an undesirable way. Uh, It can be the lack of a necessary skill or it can be uh, an unhealthy pattern uh, in which you repeatedly get stuck. And uh, like we said, uh, there are a lot of things that we don't even think about. Um, And they kind of sneak into 
in under the under the wedding garments. And uh, as we start living together, some of those things start to be painfully obvious, at least to us, uh, while they're not obvious to the other person. Um, you can have claimed and unclaimed baggage. And uh, claimed baggage is what you recognize uh, is yours, and you can deal with that. Um, it may require asking for forgiveness. It may require uh, doing some, some serious repenting and uh, you know, recognizing that um, what you accepted as a normal lifestyle, because that's the way it was in your family, maybe really doesn't work that well. And maybe isn't what, what God intends at all. Uh, you can ignore those things. Uh, pretend they didn't exist. Uh, deny that there's a problem. Um, and as John was thinking that she's not like anything like the rest of her family, well, we deceive ourselves because we find as we grow older that we will become our parents often. And those things which we thought we'd never do, we'd never say, we find ourselves saying and doing. And if we aren't willing to claim that baggage, aren't willing to deal with some of those issues, even though we don't want to do them uh, because of the way our brains are designed, um, those issues do come out eventually because we learned very well what we see modeled for us. As an adult, I'm responsible for what I do with my history. Uh, others are responsible for what they did when they did it. Uh, you know, whether uh, it was something my parents did or didn't do, um, they're responsible for that. But as an adult, uh, I'm responsible now, uh, uh, whether it was injustice I experienced, whether it was uh, even abuse I experienced. Uh, I have no excuse for not going to God and dealing with that, uh, finishing that work that maybe somebody else started. But now as an adult, it's my job to finish. Um, and obviously, whatever we do today affects not only us, it affects our spouse, it affects our children, uh, it affects perhaps their children. And the Bible speaks about uh, God visiting sins down to the fourth generation. And that's how some of those, those sins are, are inherited. Um, uh, they, they talk about uh, alcoholism as, as being inherited, and I think it is, although maybe not genetically. Um, what you grow up with, seeing you know, modeled, those people will repeat in their own lives, even though um, they didn't like it when they were living uh, in that situation. God can take whatever our history is. And then use it for his glory. Uh, God can take something that is dead, bring it to life. Uh, God can take something that is, um, as Joseph said to his brothers, something they intended for evil and use it for good. Uh, it's not that God enjoys seeing us suffer. It's not that God wants us to go through bad things. But because we're sinful, uh, sin has its consequences. As Brother Walt talked last night, there are scars. And there are ways of dealing with scars. God, even though Walt can't completely erase a, erase a scar, uh, God can and will sometimes completely erase a scar so that it does not affect us and our future. Um, and he can do that by, by transforming us. It's, it's his work. It's, but um, in, all, in, in all of these issues, um, it, it often takes a lot of hard work on our part as well and are willing to, to, to do that work and look at ourselves. Um, we'd like to, to uh, talk a little bit about some baggage indicators that um, would indicate there is something that we need to deal with. Um, and, and I think all of us will identify with, with some of these. Um, uh, one indicator is uh, an overreaction to a situation. That would be an emotional reaction 
goes what, beyond what the situation warrants. Like if Tom would forget to do something, I would become enraged. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Why? I, actually, I didn't have that problem as much with Tom, although he does make me angry at, sometimes. But I, I really noticed this in dealing with my children. The um, things, I mean, I, everybody has their own issues. Things that really bother me are messes and dirt. And if the kids would get dirty or spill something or, I totally overreact. I mean, now I know, I mean, this is like a normal part of life. It's not a big deal, but that was not always the case. And I know that I hurt my children on numerous occasions by my overreaction to, to a situation. And likewise, they have learned to overreact in some ways. And I... I don't know if we're going to get into this now, but we, um, um, sorry, we, I became aware early on in our marriage that I had a lot of things to deal with, but I had no idea how or why. I, I realized that I was a very angry person and that I had a lot of, um, ma- mainly I realized that it was angry. I didn't know why or how. I thought I had a very good upbringing, and I, I never realized that I, why I was angry, but I knew that I was angry. And um, then quite a few years ago, we began, oh, I, anytime I struggled with anything in our marriage, I looked for a book, because I was going to be a librarian once upon a time, and I really value books, and I mean, I value God's word above all, and the books that I have chosen to read are based on God's word, but I somehow, you know, don't, can't always dig out the, the principle that would be applicable, and there's a lot of good Christian books out there, so, I mean, I have a whole library on marriage, because, marriage books, because that's just been my thing through the years, so anytime we were tr- struggling with something, I'd go find a book, because I needed some kind of help, and... I guess I wasn't honest enough to go talk to somebody or ask for help or or whatever. So I'd go find a book. And most of the times I could find something that would help me, but you know, I I would I could change my behavior for a while, but not on a long-term basis because just like before we're converted, I don't know if any of you struggle with this, but I always tried to be good. You know, I thought if I'm good, God's going to accept me, but I had to come to a point where I had to allow him to work in me and realize that nothing I could ever do would be good enough and allow him to you know, accept his gift of salvation. In the same way, when we have issues in our marriages, so often we're trying on our own instead of going to God and asking him for, for long-range help. So then a few... Um, I've always had a burden for marriages and for good marriages, and a few years ago we were able to get involved with the Marriage Enrichment Weekend, which this is officially a plug for that. Um, we, we work with Marriage Enrichment Weekends. It's uh, something that the foundation sponsors, and they have, we, have, we try to have at least one a year. We hope to have one in Ohio, excuse me, in uh, February or March. And um, because we started working on this, we we more actively started working on our marriage because you can't work on a project like that without it affecting your own marriage. And then, um, so, you know, we got into some things working on our marriage. And then, um, I'd say three or four years ago, we had quite a crisis involving one of our children, which really made us look more deeply into why we do what we do and how we do it and I mean I was I was falling apart emotionally and I didn't know what to do about it I've always been a rescuer at heart a fixer and I tried with all my might to fix this situation and there was absolutely nothing I could do about it so we basically went for some counseling to figure out what what was happening here and why I couldn't deal with this and that's at that time we became aware of of how deep rooted our issues are in our history and then just in the last month or so I I found this book it's called a book again it's 
called Unclaimed Baggage, Dealing with the Past on Your Way to a Stronger Marriage by Don and Jan Frank. And um, it has kind of encapsulated for me a lot of the stuff we've learned in the last three or four years, and I, I recommend it as a, as a resource. As I began looking at my, as we go through these baggage indicators, I, I probably had every single one of them. And because I've started taking the time to look at my history and to see where some of these behaviors are rooted, have I been able to accomplish a change after many, many years. A simple one, if I have fingernails. Anybody who knows me, I've bitten my fingernails for 40 years and have not been able to have victory over it. This may be, seem like a very insignificant thing to you guys, but this is like equivalent to being an alcoholic to me, <laughs> okay? Um, any long-term habit like that that you fought with and not been able to have victory over, and then you can, that's totally by God's grace. And um, anyway, let's go back to the baggage. In oh, I want to, <laughs> the point is, that there's hope for change. We, are, we don't have to be stuck where we're at. We don't have to be satisfied with the level that our marriages are in. We don't, if you don't like how you're getting along, you don't have to stay there. You can change. And the thing is, the change begins with you personally. For 20 years, for over 20 years, I tried to change Tom. That quote, and that, you know, when Renee's, he'll be perfect as soon as I fix a few things in him. I know I went into marriage thinking that. As you go up to the altar, you're thinking, I'm going to alter that man. You know, no, he is who he is. If he's going to change, God's going to change him. That's not my job to do. God allows me to have control over me, not over him, not over my children, not over you. I've wanted to control all of you at some time or rather. Control is a big issue for me. I mean, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I like things my way. I'm a control freak. And I, would, I could tell each of you what to do, when and how, and what would be the best way to do it. Now, why am I like that? There's roots to that. But thank, praise God, I'm learning to change. And you can ask Tom. He lives with me. You can ask Bethany. She lives with me. I, I have a long way to go, but I am a different woman than I was three or four years ago. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> hey, there, uh, often there, there can be repetitive relational patterns that cause conflict with others. Like that might be a, a pattern that you employ, um, like you might walk out of the room any time that there's tension. You can't deal with conflict. You can't deal with tension, so you just leave. You avoid it. And that's, that's something that's maybe you're consciously doing on a level even, or, or you've, you've seen the pattern, but you still choose not to, not to change it. Uh, you can also have, have uh, reenacted patterns of behavior that don't have any purposeful intent. I mean, you don't even have to recognize them. Um, but... Um, there, there may be experiences that you've had in the past, uh, either where you've been very fearful. Uh, your mind records that whole situation, and anytime something else comes anywhere near to that, that your mind says, oh, this is like that situation, you'll feel yourself becoming fearful, and you don't even know why. And you'll do something to avoid that situation, even though there may be not any danger there. If, if your, your, uh, your, your automatic part of your brain takes care of that and reacts very quickly, you don't even know it's happening, but it, it, uh, uh, it gets some bad feelings about that situation. Um, many of you may know uh, my father, and that's uh, um, one thing I want to say at this point, is that in, in looking at um, baggage that we carry, I mean, a lot of it maybe we weren't responsible for, we didn't cause it, um, may have been other relationships early in our, in our uh, uh, existence that that happened. Um, and, and we've heard that, like, uh, some say that, like, 95% of the problems in relating in marriage uh, are actually things that happened, uh, things that were, were done, uh, woundings that happened before the age of 12. 
So a lot of the things about life that you learn happen in, in, in childhood. And when you don't even have maybe any, any, any real cognitive ability to, to decide whether that's a good thing or not, uh, you just accept it and, and, and take it on. And so as you go and look at some of this baggage, you may have to, to understand where it came from. But you don't do that to say, well, it's all my father's fault or all my mother's fault or, or uh, my aunt or uncle or grandfather or wherever that may have come from. You may have to, you have to recognize that. But that's only to under, understand the roots of it and understand I'm not, I'm not crazy. This just doesn't come for no reason that I'm, I'm afraid. Or this just doesn't come for no reason that, that when somebody says a certain thing, and we talked about the... Um, you know, the overreaction to the situation. Okay? That may, because of a situation, maybe a repeated, it can be a, a major traumatic situation that happens maybe once or twice. It can be an accumulation of, of many small things that, that keep happening over and over again that, that, that burn this, this pattern into, into, your, into your memory. And, and the... Um, all that basically to say that I'm going to say some things about my dad and actually my grandfather too, uh, not to say you know they're bad people, but so you can kind of see how some of the things are passed on from generation to generation and maybe not what's intended at all. But when when I call my parents' house, I know within a few seconds before anybody speaks who picked up the phone because of the interval it takes. A difference between my mom and my dad. If there's a long pause, I know it's my dad, and he's deciding how he wants to say hello. It's true. Um, it's true. And you, he you, can. You have time to say hi, dad, because you know it's yes. him. Yes. <laughs> you can just say hi, dad, before he says anything, because yeah. you know it's him. And uh, he can tell you the exact date that his father said at some um, dinner that they had together uh, that um, his, his father said, you know, before you say anything, uh, make sure, you know, ask yourself, you know, is it kind? Is it loving? Is it true? And that's not all bad advice. But sometimes that's not the best advice and, and real truth. The Bible also speaks about speaking the truth in love. Um, I didn't know my grandfather that long, um, but from what I understand, and, and certainly my dad, and, and I know myself, I do have some trouble speaking the truth. I don't want to say something that hurts somebody, upsets somebody, but yet maybe that's really what God wants said. And so I've learned this, but it's still my responsibility now to take it from there. And to learn to speak when God wants me to speak, even though it may hurt, if that's what, what is, is necessary. And that's what, what the truth is. And, and in love, I mean, that doesn't give us a license to say, well, this is the truth and, and uh, really rip somebody apart. And so um, uh, I've got to learn to, uh, in, instead of just going with the flow sometimes, and I've contributed, you know, I've enabled Lily to be a control freak because I haven't said, no, we're not going to do this. Um, I would go along. And that allowed her to, to function in that dysfunctional role much longer than God intended, I think, because of my failure. And so our, our, our baggage can feed on each other um, and enable the other one and prevent us from, from getting, getting healing. healing. Uh, there can be there can be heightened sensitivity uh, to to some uh, perhaps some issues that means, actions. Yeah, certain issues are loaded before there's any conflict. You become, you're overly defensive. Um, it could be about money. It could be about your appearance. If, or um, if any if anybody would say something about the the way I did a certain job, it's like. How could you question if I, of course I did it right, you know? I mean, 
you just have sensitive, you know your own areas where you're sensitive. Are you sensitive about your appearance? Are you, and then you become defensive if anybody says something. Are you defensive about how money is used in your relationship? You know, you, you might have heightened sensitivity. And again, because of how your parents dealt with money or, um, and, and your spouse maybe doesn't think of, of, of uh, finances in the same way you do, um, Probably doesn't. No. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's just an area that that uh, can be very sensitive um, in marriage. Uh, there may be repeated failure to resolve an issue, an issue that just doesn't die. It's just keeps bubbling up. Yeah, you explained that well. I, I said we still have problem with this one. <laughs> we are a work in progress. We are not yes. there. And. Um, that, too, is to give you hope. You know, we're, we're not where we were five years ago, but we're not where we want to be. But that doesn't make us a failure right now. I mean, I'm thankful that we can see growth from, you know, from five years ago. And I'm looking forward to how much better our relationship will be in ten years if we continue to work at, at, at this level and prioritize our marriage and prioritize... I mean, just, obviously we want your, your um, relationship with God to be first, and you know that you have to take time to prioritize that. But likewise, you have to take time to prioritize your marriage. I know after we had children, I kind of put Tom on the back burner. I mean, I didn't do this consciously, or, but I know I did that. I became so focused on our children and the responsibility of uh, producing this perfect human to reflect how good I am. I mean, think. I mean, none of us are going to say that outright, but is that not the way we think? I mean, everybody around us is judging who I am as a person by how my child is behaving. Well, this is incredible weight and baggage that you don't want to put on yourself. Please drop that one today. God doesn't put it on us. Yeah, if he did, he, he'd think he's a total failure. Look at Adam and Eve. Those were his first children. Look what they did. You know, I mean, we put these ridiculously high standards on ourselves and allow our worth to come from how our children behave. My worth comes from my relationship with God. He saw value and worth in me, so much so that Jesus died for me. And so how how can my value or worth come from if my two-year-old's running around a little crazier than, I mean, I had very unreal, un, my oldest daughter's sitting in the audience, so this is really hard for me, but um, I hurt her a great deal because I had totally unreal, unrealistic expectations for her. And I really was going to produce this perfect human being. And it hasn't been fair to her. And it has hurt her a great deal, and I thank God that he's healing our relationship and giving her the grace to forgive me, because that's really what it is. God's grace that she can forgive me and go on with her life and um, accept that God gave me as her parent for a reason, <laughs> to mold her in a certain way, to help her to be sensitive and compassionate to other people maybe who have gone through through what she has gone through, on, on a, maybe on a different level. But um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's keep going. I'll figure out what else I was going to say. Okay, so there can be repeated failure to resolve an issue. That's, an, that's uh, evidence that you know we haven't dealt with uh, with all of the areas that God wants us to grow up in. And then uh, we can have predetermined expectations. Uh, we know exactly um, how the situation is going to play out. We know exactly how our spouse is going to react. Right. You, you predict your, your spouse's negative response in advance, and that, that really isn't fair to them. That doesn't give them the option that they're ever going to change. I mean, Tom could have easily done that to me because I'm a super negative person. I have been for years. Everything's, everything's wrong. Er, nothing's fixable. Everything. I mean, it's really hard to live with me. And he has re remained positive and upbeat and encouraged me. And I have seen um, 
God's unconditional love more in my husband than, than in any other person on earth. And if it weren't for him, I don't think I would be where I am today. And I thank God for him. And there are two sides to almost every issue that we talk about in our lives. And going back to the, you know, the patience and the not wanting to say or hurt, you know, the other side of that is, is part that allowed me to, 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 to love um, in, a, in a more unconditional way uh, than maybe she had experienced before. Um, and so there's, there's, a, there's a healthy side, an unhealthy side to, to most of these, these uh, um, characters. And um, um, all of life is, is about a balance. Um, and uh, part of, of adolescent thinking is, is a very black and white thinking. And uh, I remember at a uh, minister's uh, meeting we had, um, I think it was uh, maybe about a year ago or so, but there were several of us that were talking uh, afterwards, and we were commenting about, you know, when we were, when we were uh, 17, 18, 19, you know, we knew exactly how to solve all the problems. And now after having uh, uh, raised some children and, and other things, we find out that everything isn't quite so black and white. And adolescent thinking uh, is, is often uh, very limiting. Uh, you know, there's this way and there's no other way. And as we mature in life, we find that there are many different options. It may not have to be exactly this way. Um, Makes me think of the, the dishes. <laughs> your, your history goes with you wherever you are. In our house, that means that I think that dishes can only be washed in a certain way. You know, the glasses go first, and then the plates, and then the silverware, and I have... Well, you know, Tom doesn't do the dishes the way I do. And he, and Bethany and Amy don't do them any way the way I want. Is there any... My, my daughters don't do dishes in my house because they know I'm not going to be satisfied. What a burden. I mean, I want their help. I'm critical of them because they won't do the dishes. But why won't they do the dishes? Because they can't do anything good enough to please me. Because I won't allow them to be who they are, to allow them to make their own choices... The dishes are going to be clean in the end. Is that not the end goal? Does it have to be done the way I want them to be done? <laughs> it's pretty dumb. <laughs> but we all do. I mean, I hope you can be honest with yourselves and see where you are in this. This happens to be mine. Maybe your issue is totally different. But, I mean, uh, one thing we wanted to talk about is that we have patterns of behavior that we, we need to examine um, and that look at patterns from your family or from your past and think about them in three categories. Are they valuable? Like, are they something you want to keep? And a good question to ask yourself is, um, do I want to pass it on to my children? Like, in our, we were both raised with a good work, worth ethic, work ethic. You know, we're not afraid to work hard. We know how to do that. That's okay. Um, we want our children to learn how to work hard. We, um, whatever values you had in your family that you want to keep and pass on, do that. But then there are another set that you see they're not working that good, but with a little repair, you could, you could make them workable in your family or make them something that... Um, that you would want to use. I don't have a good example for that. Do you? Um, well, just for example, maybe uh, some holiday traditions uh, you, not, you may not be totally comfortable with, uh, or your spouse may not be totally comfortable with yours, um, what you used to do. But together, you can you can you can you can uh, come up with uh, either some new traditions or. Or, or something that that accomplishes uh, the relationship, um, uh, the uh, the values that you want to instill in them, um, and and so you can you know repair and and um, it may be uh, maybe behaviors that how how the mother or father relates to the children. You may have seen a certain thing modeled, and again, unless you take conscious effort, you probably end up eventually at some point when you're pushed to your limits. 
relating just how you saw your parent relate to you. But if you want to take the conscious effort and say, you know, this really wasn't the best behavior pattern. God, I, I want to make a change. And together with your spouse, you can, you, can, you can recognize some of those deficiencies, some of those excesses, whatever they might be. And you can choose to, to instill some new behavior patterns uh, with God's help. And so it may be something that was all bad. Even, even the valuable things aren't necessarily things that are perfect. They're different. But things that are valuable for uh, teaching about God. Uh, teaching about uh, uh, you know what God expects in our lives and and how we relate and, and how we function how how we value our children and learn and so they learn that God really does value them God does love them um, because we are God to our little children that's how they understand who God is now some of us as our as our children get older we still want to be God to them and we don't want to say no I'm not God I'm imperfect. And you need to look at, at the real Heavenly Father and, and point them to God. Uh, so we need to look at, at, at those. What's, what's valuable? What, what we can use that, that we're, uh, we've already inherited or, or learned. Uh, we have the choice to take those things that are repairable. Well, this isn't working real well. God can show us how, how to, to work, uh, work with that and, and, and change some things. And there are also some things that we need to, to categorize as replaceable. And um, two of those things that this book mentions and I think are very uh, applicable to most people are uh, sarcasm and mind reading. Sarcasm can be extremely destructive, hurtful. I mean, I think most couples should make a pact with each other that they're not ever going to be sarcastic with with each other and that might take some doing because it's a habit pattern that many families if you look at your family system it's very deeply ingrained in it and the other one that when I read this section of the book it was so convicting I thought this is my family mind reading and if you don't mind I'm going to read this section to you see if you identify um, it wasn't at, until after we were married that another faulty communication pattern came to surface, mind reading. I, Jan, had been trained extensively in this art and expected no less from Don. In my home growing up, we were expected to read minds. No one sat down and said such a thing, but it was part of the family script. If my stepdad was angry about something, we were expected to know what it was and how to fix it without ever being asked or being told. I also learned some manipulative methods of dropping hints. and that were used to help others in the task of reading my mind. I am an expert at this. Asking directly for needs to be met was not standard practice in my home. One could provide vague information, but it was another person's job to figure out what one wanted and needed without being forthright. One day early in our marriage, John and I went to the beach. We had a nice day in the sun. We were preparing to leave. I really wanted to go to our favorite Italian restaurant for dinner, but since I wasn't accustomed to asking what I Asking for what I wanted, I did the only thing I knew to do. I dropped hints. As we packed up our things, I said to Don, Boy, I sure am hungry. To which she replied, Yeah, I'm getting a little hungry myself. We got into the car and Don headed home. Calculating my words carefully, I said, I don't think there's anything to eat at home. Don made no comment. As he continued driving, I noticed we were approaching the street we would turn on to order in order to go to the restaurant. I pointed out the window and said, There's a street we'd turn on to go to Mama Cosa's. Yep, that's it, Don said in an oblivious tone. We continued on our way. By, the t by that time, I was ticked. This man does not get it. When we finally arrived home, I went directly to the kitchen, opened the refrigerator, looked inside, and pronounced in an angry tone, Yep, there's nothing to eat in here. I proceeded to open several cupboard doors and slam them shut. Jan, what is wrong with you, Don asked. I'm mad at you, I said. What for? Because you wouldn't take me to my favorite Italian restaurant. You didn't ask me, said Don. Minor point, I thought. We discussed the whole event, and with Don's help, I recognized how unhealthy and manipulative this, pat manipulative this pattern of dropping hints was. I was able to share with Don how common it was for me growing up and that I didn't want to continue it in our marriage. He encouraged me to ask him directly, when there was something I wanted or needed. 
I've talked with several couples who have the same problem. Here's the most common scenario. Husband forgets to do something. Wife gets angry and silent. Husband notices her withdrawal and asks, what's wrong, honey? Most of you know what answer follows. Nothing, says the wife. No, you're really in trouble. In a tone that lets her husband know that he's in bigger trouble than he was before he asked. This game can go on forever. Why are we laughing? Because we all play this game. Why did we laugh when the luggage came in? Because we identified with it. Believe me, I know. I'm in, I was an ex- expert at it, says the book, and I'm saying that for me too. I would tell Don nothing was wrong but punish him for days for what he didn't know. It took some retraining of thought patterns and a change in communication skills for me to work this through. I had to realize that Don could not figure out on his own what I needed when I needed a hug after dealing with sick kids and being shut in the house all day. I had to ask him for it and not feel slighted if he didn't volunteer it on his own. This is a big deal for me. I'm starting to learn after 27 years. I will tell Tom I really need a hug right now. I have wanted him to figure that out, but he hasn't, so I need to ask for my needs to be met. It, and then this part is significant. Um, I have This part I haven't quite learned yet. I also had to learn that if you ask for something and get it, it should not be devalued. In other words, it isn't fair to say to your spouse, it's no good now because I had to ask for it. That's been very, very hard for me. I felt if I had to ask for something, then it wasn't valuable. But that's not true. He doesn't read minds. He hasn't figured it out yet. That's okay. I can't read his either. It's healthy for us to share appropriate needs with our mate and have our mates respond. This builds trust and safety in a relationship. And I I think one, one of the reasons we don't ask is is the fear of rejection, and that's where that safety needs to be there. Uh, we need to know that uh, our mate is not going to ridicule us. Uh, our mate is not going to reject us uh, because of our need. Now, it may, be, it may be an unrealistic need that we express. Uh, we may express what? it you know, in, in a way that, it, that, that isn't, isn't uh, helpful to communicate it, uh, but we need to develop that. Um, we need to model God's desire for intimacy with us and the safety that we have in, in going to God. Um, and as, as we, we value our mate and as we choose to love them uh, in spite of who they are, in spite of who we are, we can consciously choose to love. Um, Jesus said they would know our, that we're disciples by the love we have toward each other. And sometimes we forget that love is a decision. Love is a choice. It isn't a feeling. We aren't known to be known that we're God's children because we appear to to have good feelings about each other. But it's that choice to love, to care, to do the best for that other person that is going to convey to the world that we're Christ's disciples. The... And as, as we are secure in God's love, as we know that God really values us, and I don't need approval of, of Lily, I don't need your approval to be acceptable to God. I need God's approval. I need God's acceptance. And, and he, he makes that very clear in the scripture. He's willing to be there. And he's not going to forsake us. He's not going to leave us. But it's much easier to be affected by those who are closer in proximity to us. But we have to choose um, to believe God. We have to choose to believe this God that, that created us. We have to choose to believe this God who, who sent his son to provide for us because he loved us. He didn't want us to see us perish. He, wanted us, he wants us to spend eternity with him. And so as we're in marriages that where our, our faults start to stick out like, like sore thumbs because when we're closer to somebody, you know, if you've got something sore, you don't want to be so close to anybody. Well, in marriage, as we get closer, you know, all the baggage, all the sore spots and everything start to become evident. And if we believe that there's a God who can bring us through these, a God who can heal us, 
You see, we can face these things. And we can know. And, and it takes a lot of commitment to each other, commitment to the relationship. So many people are ready to run uh, whenever it requires uh, a little bit of sacrifice or a little bit of work. Run from a relationship. Relationships take work. But God is a relational God. Uh, that's why he sent his son, because he desires a relationship with us. So marriage is, is a vehicle that, that children can see uh, God's relating to his church played out in. Um, it's, a, it's a fence that they can be secure in, a fence that so many children today in our society are without. Um, but working on your marriage uh, is going to be some of the hardest work you ever do because you've got to do the hard work of facing yourself first, uh, owning that baggage, claiming that baggage, and then giving it to Giving to God, and there's 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 a grieving that needs to be done. You know, my dad could have been a different model for me, and I not have to deal with something. I may not have something, or I may have a problem because of of my history. Well, I can grieve that, and then I can then I can uh, give it to God. We can't forgive someone until we recognize the loss that it causes us. We can say, oh, that doesn't matter. But we're just taking on more baggage if we're doing that. We're not, we have to recognize what it cost us, the loss it cost us, uh, some pain it caused us maybe. And then once we realize the cost, we can release that. It's painful to see who we really are. It's painful to recognize that there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But if our value comes from a God who's already accepted us, we'll be willing to do that work, and then we'll be more effective in, in our marriages, uh, in our communities, uh, in our families, uh, and we'll see God, God working. Uh, one area that um, we haven't um, really touched on specifically this morning, but one area that's definitely a problem in marriage relationship is, is difference in, in, in attitudes towards uh, the sexual relationship. And uh, in this book is an, is an excellent word picture, uh, which I think can, can, uh, can help us uh, see maybe some of the two different worlds that, that somebody comes from. Um, and so we... Uh, uh, that'll probably take us to to the end almost. Um, this couple is specifically talking about themselves. Uh, the early years of our marriage confronted us with the differences that most couples face with regard to sex. Men and women are wired differently and approach the sexual relationship uniquely. There are numerous excellent books that help couples with these issues. Don and I needed to educate ourselves about those differences, but we carried additional baggage too. Um, she had been sexually abused in her um, childhood. We've used the following analogies in our seminars to help couples understand what it's like when your history follows you into the bedroom. Picture a man in a wheelchair. He's been confined to the chair all of his life. From the moment he rises in the morning until he's assisted to bed every evening, he remains in that chair. After all these years, it has become a part of his identity. In fact, he feels lost without it except for once a week the day he keeps his established appointment for physical therapy. The therapy places him in a warm, bubbling whirlpool for an hour. The man can hardly wait to get there each week. It's the only time he gets out of the confinement of that wheelchair. It's a time when he can feel freedom and pleasure. He gets to let loose. His dreams about the whirlpool, he dreams about the whirlpool between appointments, and on the day of the appointment, he wakes up with excitement. Now picture a five-year-old girl. Her father is a harsh man with a military background. He's trained many soldiers, and he runs his home the same way. He was an athlete in school and an excellent swimmer. He decides one day it's time for his daughter to learn to swim. He doesn't sign her up for local swimming lessons, but decides to expose her to the water himself. He marches her to the backyard where the family whirlpool is. Without warning, he throws her in. She cannot swim, nor can she touch bottom. She comes up for air only to hear her father say, 
You're all right, just a few more minutes. Then he shoves her head back under the water. She's terrified that she's going to die. When she finally gets out of the whirlpool, she never wants to go near the water again. She lives in constant fear that she may not survive her next swimming lesson. Now that you have the, the man in the wheelchair and the little girl firmly pictured in your mind, imagine that they marry each other. The whirlpool represents the sexual relationship. The man in the wheelchair is Don, and I am the little girl. All his life, Don was confined to a world without feelings or affection. He was restricted and restrained. He goes to the whirlpool with expectation and eagerness. The whirlpool is the only place he feels unhindered and free. He can experience and express emotions there unlike any other place he has ever been. He longs for this freedom and pursues it with intensity. I am the little girl who was thrown into adult sexual intimacy without warning. I was not prepared for the terror, helplessness, and confusion. It's no wonder that I feel the whirlpool and all it, I fear the whirlpool and all it represents. Even though the whirlpool has changed locations, it is fraught with reminders that are not easily erased. We use this analogy to illustrate how our history has influenced our perspectives. In the beginning of our marriage, the man in the wheelchair approached the little girl saying, All right, just what I've been waiting for. Let's, you and me, go to the whirlpool. Oh no, the little girl shrieked in horror. Not the whirlpool. Which perspective is right? That of the man in the wheelchair or that of the little girl? There's neither right or wrong. There's neither a right or wrong perspective. Both are valid in light of their different points of reference. We had to learn this about each other and have compassion for each other before we could move through our histories to develop a healthy history of our own. The good news is that perspectives can change as we gather new information and embrace new experiences. The man in the wheelchair has learned how to be less obsessive about going to the whirlpool, but developing other areas where he can get out of the confinement of his chair and express freedom. The girl has learned to tr trust the man in the wheelchair not to force her head underwater and to enjoy the tender moments of relaxation and fulfillment that come from being in the, wheelchair, in the whirlpool together. In practical terms, sometimes the man in the wheelchair gently approaches the little girl, asking her to climb up onto his lap so he might hug and cuddle her while they sit by the whirlpool. He waits until the fear leaves her eyes and asks, do you think we can stick our feet in yet? Yes, I think so, but let's take it slowly, warns the little girl. Over time, the warmth of the man's love and the tenderness of his caring touch calm the little girl's fears. She transitions from the little girl to a woman who longs to unite with the man who loves and embrace the, with the man she loves and em, embrace together God's complete design for a husband and wife. Don't think this happened overnight. This was a process. And through, working, walking, and through walking this process together, we grew more intimate and more in love. We learned some valuable lessons about leaving our baggage behind. We had to take personal ownership of our baggage at a deeper level, grieve through our losses, and wholeheartedly turn to God for help. I, I didn't have any sexual abuse in my background that I'm aware of, but I made some wrong choices as a teenager with, um, with a boyfriend, and it did scar our relationship, and Tom needed to be very sensitive to me at the beginning in this area of our life. And, I mean, Satan is really good at using our sin to haunt us, and, um, but we don't have to allow him to have the victory, but it inquires, requires a great deal of sensitivity between you as a couple. And um, statistically, in a room this size, there are people who have been abused sexually, and there are issues, and that's why I wanted to include that, because it really moved me when I read it. Okay, I do thank you all for coming. Uh, I hope uh, some of what we said was, was maybe helpful to you. You can relate to that. Um, just to, to underscore again, uh, God is able, and it is for that reason that we can have hope, no matter where we are right now, 
if we're willing to go to him, uh, if we're willing to ask for help. And, you know, uh, sometimes that may need to be someone outside our marriage that we need to go to help for. And, and uh, don't be ashamed of where you are. Be willing to pursue the promises he's given us. Thank you.